Um, good morning, Crossing Church. Uh, it's good to be here. My name's Gene Klingbeal. I'm an elder here at the church, and it's so good to gather around to, to be in the presence of God's people, to worship together, to pray together, um, and to open up God's scripture together. It, uh, this is one of my favorite times of the week is uh, being able to do that in community and, and with you all. Um, so we, uh, for our first-time visitors, welcome to the church, and uh, we're so glad that you guys uh, decided to join us today, and we, we love to get to know you. We have a small gift in the back if you want to grab one of those on, on the way out. Um, it's got some information about the church and who we are, and it's, there's a gift in there. So gifts are cool, right? Um, but uh, so Jonathan uh, is not here today. He's our lead pastor and, but he did tell me he's going to do a flyby over the church today. I'm just kidding. That's not happening. Um, <laughs> uh, that would be cool, but that, that he's not doing that today. So he's defending our nation, and, uh, and he's working. He's got a work weekend. So, um, but uh, yeah, and if uh, for YouTube, did we get YouTube up and running? Is it? Nope. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> um, well, they can catch it later. Hopefully, we're recording it. Uh, yep. All right. Thank you, Brian, for that. Technical difficulties um, always seem to happen when I preach, uh, but that's okay. It, it, matter of fact, it's been a long time since I've preached. Uh, the, the last time I preached, uh, we were in the other building. We were in Fruit Cove Middle. And I don't know if you all remember, right? Yeah, Valerie, so some of you do remember uh, what happened that day. We had a visitor in the church, in the auditorium, and um, Brian uh, and, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I forgot his name. <laughs> Brian, Brian and them um, brought up this morning, we're not going to have any bats flying around the auditorium this morning. So we did, we had a bat flying around, and to say that that was distracting is an understatement. Um, I was just like, oh my gosh, is this thing going to hit me in the head? Um, is it going to perch itself right here? Uh, so, but I did send out that night, I did find there are bats in the Bible, guys, um, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? So, but hopefully we don't have any of those things happen today. These walls hopefully will stay up. Uh, we, uh, we, we spent a lot of money on those walls, um, but it's, it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to, to do this. Matter of fact, um, you guys are certainly a lot closer than, than in Fruit Cove Middle, but that's cool. That's, that's good. Um, and I, at confession time, when we moved into this building, uh, one of the things that we as elders, we talked about a lot were, were these walls and the, and the rooms back there. And so the first Sunday we were in here, I, I made it a point. I was like, okay, we talked about making sure that there was enough sound and barrier between us and Crossing Kids and in the babies, because we didn't want that to be a distraction. So I parked, I parked myself back there that first Sunday, and I was like, ooh, every little laugh I heard, every little bump I heard, I'm like, oh my goodness, is, is this distracting to us? And I was telling the contractor, I was like, hey, uh, you know, I, I could hear the noise. And he, and he said, he's a friend of mine, he said, Gene, he said, you're looking at this all wrong. He said, think about this. He said that you look at it as a distraction possibly, but the way it should be looked at is that's the future of the church back there. And we're in community, and we're close with them, right? And those kids are literally back there getting poured into the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he said, look at it differently. Look at it as you're in community, and the kids are back there getting that message. And, and so I did that. I was like, man, I'm looking at this all wrong. 
you know, God does that at times. He puts things in our life that we view as a distraction, and in turn, it really is a blessing. So I, I had to do that confession there. That was me back there thinking, oh my gosh, the, the noise and the laughing, that should be celebrated. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, we're going to pray. We've got a lot of scripture to go over this morning. I apologize to Warner because we're going to be in Old Testament, we're going to be in New Testament, we're going to be all over the place. Um, so he, he's, I got to send this sermon to him, and he has to make the slides and everything. So he said, it's no problem. He said, but he charges after three next time. So we'll, we'll make sure we, we don't do that. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll, and we'll dive in. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that uh, you'll be here today, that your spirit will, will talk through me, that you can move me aside, and, and that the message is the message that you want preached, that we can, Lord, be stood out and, and stood up, that we, Lord, will be your people, that we can go out into this broken world, and we can share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you walked in this morning, hopefully you got a little bag with five little stones in there. Um, I've got to do a public service announcement. What we're not going to do with those little bags is we're not going to invoke the old ritual of stoning people, okay? <laughs> Certainly not me. So if you don't like the sermon, that's okay. We can pray about it and, and come together and, and say what, what you didn't like, what you did like, but we're not going to stone me or anybody in the church. I heard Melissa say, walking in, oh, we get to throw rocks at Gene. We're not going to do that today. That, that would be a distraction, right? Um, no bats, but flying rocks. I also heard somebody say, well, is it Family Sunday? Are we giving rocks to kids in church? And no, they're in the back getting, getting uh, poured into. So I just had to get that out there in case anybody felt the need to throw rocks this way. Um, don't, don't do that. You'll see what they're for um, as we go through the scripture today. And, and in the end, um, there's a little story uh, that goes with it. So we're continuing our series in 1 Peter today. And we're going to be today in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 12. So you can open up your Bibles um, and hold that in readiness, or if you don't have your Bible, you got the little pamphlets that, that we give out, the little journals, and if you didn't get one, there's, there's more on the back, or your phone, um, you can do that. And I, you know, the phone is an awesome thing, you know, it, it can at times be distractions, right? We can get on there and, and look at whatever, like I just looked at the NFL scores, the Jags are losing, um, they're playing in London, so, <laughs> but uh, this is distraction, but really what the phone can also do it can also offer us literally at any point, any time during the day, have the Holy Word of God at our fingertips. And that's, that's a really cool thing. So if you want to do that, hold, open up those and, and hold it to 1 Peter 2, 4 through 12. So what I, we're in the third sermon of our series in 1 Peter. And I want to kind of do kind of a recap a little bit of where we're at at this point, And it, it kind of frames of where we're going. So Peter, and, and Jonathan did the first two sermons. I think he's, he's preaching next week. Um, so Peter is an apostle, and he was commissioned to bring out the good news and message of Jesus Christ throughout the world. And he's writing this epistle or this letter in Rome, and he's writing it to churches in Asia Minor. And I, I call it a circular letter because he's writing it to many, many different churches, not one singular church. And Asia Minor... Uh, for a reference, it's kind of modern-day, it is modern-day Turkey, is, is where he's writing this letter to these churches. And he's writing it because these churches are being persecuted by the Roman Empire, Empire for their faith. And what Peter wants to do is say, 
and offer a hope to them. Because I'm sure in this persecution, in, in this time of pain and trial and tribulation and struggle that they're dealing with, that there could be, you know, where's hope? Where's God in all this? And these are the early Christians there. So he's writing this to make sure that they, they see the encouragement. They see the hope, the good news of Jesus Christ that, that is there, that these people are going to be, they're, they're supposed to be different. They're supposed to stand out in the world and spread that message. So let's go ahead and look at our scripture here in 2, 4 through 12. It should be, yep. As you, I'm going to read from NIV. I'm an NIV guy. I'm sorry. Uh, this, the slides and everything else will probably be ESV. Um, so as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion and choose precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to, to death and shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has come to the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which also is what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a ro royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. <clears throat> so we're talking about a Christian life here and, and what all that goes with that and what that means. Peter is offering encouragement in these scriptures. So I, I want to talk about how we are different, how we are going to be these living stones and cast up and stood up and supposed to stand out for Jesus here. If you look again at 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, what he's saying as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Peter describes Jesus as the living stone. That's what he's saying here. And then we too can be like that living stone. The Bible describes us that if we place our trust and lives in Jesus Christ, we will be made renewed and alive. <clears throat> God makes it clear to us in Scripture. If you look at a stone, if you look at the stones that you got today, um, they are completely dead. They are void of life. And, I mean, a stone is, it, it has no warmth unless the sun is on it. It, it can't interact with you. Um, if you start talking to it, uh, it's not going to talk back. If it does talk back, please get with one of the elders. We've got things we can do to help you with that. That's not normal, right? So, <laughs> but uh, it, it, the, a stone is dead. There's no emotion. There's no life. There's no love there. It's not going to move unless you move it. So, <clears throat> but we, we are going to be dead stones made alive in Jesus. God makes us alive. But at times, we can have heart of stones. We can turn away in our sin and our rebellion and be made of heart of stones. 
if, here we go to other scriptures. If we look at Ezekiel uh, 36, 26, what it says about that. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What is a heart of stone? It's completely dead, void of life. It's, it's dead in sin. It's turned away from God in rebellion. Um, it's looked to our own needs, our own desires. Only God can turn something so dead into being alive, a living heart. God transforms us. The Bible says we are living stones. We just need to turn away from sin and, and turn to God. Let God work that miracle in our lives. To make something dead, to become alive, is a miracle. Ask this question. What miracle has to happen for me to be made alive from something dead? It's a great image of what God did in our lives, what he is doing to us and for us. We're something that was most dead and became alive. And look at verse 10 here. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once we were totally part, away from God, but now we have mercy, we have grace, we have love. We belong to him. We were once dead, but now we're alive. We were once without mercy, and now we have mercy. How does this miracle work in our lives? How does this transform us? How does this take place in us? It works because Jesus Christ, it says, is the living stone. That's where we need to anchor our lives to. The Bible makes it very clear that we are dead in sin. <clears throat> it, it says if we don't live up to God's standard, because God's standard is the standard of goodness. God is what gives life. And if we are dead in sin, we're separated from God. Because we're all sinners, we can be as good as dead. We, we are like these dead stones. But here's what happened. God sent his son, his perfect son. Jonathan talked about it last week, that he was the only one that could come and pay the price for all of our sin, to lay down on a cross knowingly and willingly and die for us. He's the only one that had that capacity to, to die for our sins, to come to earth, and God threw all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our pain on him, and he died for us. But here, the Bible also makes it clear that he has this eternal capacity to take all of that, to rise from the dead, because dead can't hold him down. He is not a dead stone. He has made us living stones through his sacrifice. We are made alive because he is the living stone. Any one of us, that place our lives in Jesus Christ, can receive this, can have this, and anchor our lives there. We were once apart from God, and now we are part of the family of God. Once without mercy, and now we have mercy. The metaphor here, I think, used, um, that they use of living stones is so interesting. There, there's an image here I'd like to show. Um, so it's a picture of these stones. So in 1995, I had the opportunity in the military to, to travel to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem. Our ship pulled in, and, and we were there. And everywhere you walk over there, you'll see these stones stood up. And you, you have to ask yourself, why are they there? But somewhere, somehow, somebody at some time and point stood these stones up for a reason. 
and they're everywhere as you walk around. Throughout the Old Testament, there's many, many stories of stones being stood up to be a memorial and to be a remembrance that God did something amazing there. I'd like to tell you just three little stories of that. It's the first one is the story of Jacob. Um, if you look at Genesis, so Jacob is the younger brother of Esau. And Esau back then, the older brother had the birthright and the inheritance. And, and Jacob wanted that. He was jealous. So he went to his father and he tricked his father out of Esau's inheritance. So Jacob got the inheritance. Well, Esau heard this and was enraged and furious and said he was going to kill Jacob. So the mother heard this and said, I cannot lose two sons. So she helped Jacob escape. And as Jacob is wandering in the wilderness, he gets tired and he lays down and he puts stones under his head as a pillow and, and he falls asleep. Well, God delivers him a dream. And in the dream, it's a staircase that, goes, that reaches heaven and all the way down to earth and angels are ascending and descending on this staircase. And God says, I will never leave you, Jacob. I will always be with you. And so what Jacob did as he woke up, we can see it here in Genesis <clears throat> told you I'm all over the scripture today. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Bethel means literally the house of God, translated from Hebrew. Jacob wanted this place to be remembered. So he took the stones and he stood them up and said, this is to be remembered because God performed a miracle here. Another story is the story of Moses. Moses uh, was a prince of Egypt, but he really was a Hebrew slave. And he found out his, you know, his true, uh, true lineage, and, and he went with the Hebrew nation. And God said, I'm, Moses, you're going to be an instrument to you, that I'm going to use to free my people. So Moses went to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It was like a heart of stone. And, and he said that uh, the plagues came, and we, we know the story, what happened. And eventually, Pharaoh relented and softened his heart, and released the people. Well, as they were leaving, they come to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh, again, was, his heart was hardened against his people. And so what he did was he sent his army after him. So they're trapped now between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. Well, God delivered them. He parted the Red Sea, and they all went over. Well, at that point, they came to a mountain, and, and Moses ascends into the mountain, and God makes a contract with his people, and he gives them the law. Well, as Moses comes down, he says, everything that God has said, we will do. But we need to do something to memorialize what has happened here. And if you look in Exodus 24.4, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Moses said this should not be forgotten that God delivered them. God brought them into a land and gave them a contract. He said, I will not leave you. I will always be with you. So Moses wanted to remember that. So they set up stones to remember this. One more story is the story of Joshua. So Joshua was, um, they, were, they were, the nation is now, they, they're over and they're, they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And finally God says, we're going to bring you into the promised land. 
So they come up to the Jordan River, and the Jordan River is at its highest point. It's at flood stage at this point. And they said, how are we going to cross this? It, we have women, we have children, we have horses and donkeys and carts, and this is impossible. How can we get to the other side? Well, <clears throat> Joshua was told by God to take the high priest and the Ark of the Covenant and just set their foot in the water, and he will dam up the Jordan River, and the nation can cross over into the Promised Land. And that's what they did. And as they did that, the priests, after everybody had gone through, the high priest came out with the Ark, and the waters came back down. God delivered them. He brought them into the promised land and brought them in to their nation. And, and what Joshua did here, it's, it's remarkable what he said for them to do. If you look at Joshua 4, 4 through, 4 through 8. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had pointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of Israelites. To serve as a sign among you in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Here's the thing, folks. We come across these stones all the time. Everywhere in the... In the uh, nation of Israel and in the Holy Land, you see these stones. And kids are asking, why are these stones different? Why are these stones stood up? And it's because God did something there. They're a memorial to the goodness and grace and promises that Jesus and God has given us. <clears throat> we, are to, we are supposed to be like that also. We are supposed to be stones stood up and different in a world so that people can remember and see what God has done in our lives. If you look at, again, back to 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Think about this. In Israel, you see these stones everywhere. We live in a world where there are dead stones walking around everywhere. We live in a world that rejects us. We live in a world that says, don't love your enemy. We live in a world that says, it's better to be an individual than to have community with God. We live in a world that says, be ashamed to walk a Christian life. <clears throat> a world that says that we should be ashamed. But God made us different. God has stood us up to say we are going to spread the message and the good news of Jesus Christ. God said, here's a miracle I performed in your life, and you should stand up and stand out so that that can be remembered and others can receive that same miracle. <clears throat> so he made us living stones. So there are parts of this miracle and there's parts of this standing up at times that can be painful and hurt. <clears throat> but we may ask, wait, my life's a miracle. I, I am this living stone. I'm a walking testimony to God's goodness and grace. How can there be pain? But the truth of the matter, life hurts sometimes. That we are dealing with trials and tribulations in our life. 
pain and shame and suffering in our life. And, and to be honest, the church, the church itself can hurt at times. The church is full of people at times that there's backbiting and gossip. And that is division that Satan wants to creep into the church. But we can't let that happen. There can be a lack of love and understanding. We can say so many wonderful things here in this building and then go out in the world where we're supposed to be stood up and set apart and spread the message of gospel in Jesus Christ and go out and we don't do that. That's where sin's creeping in. We need to turn away from our sin and turn back to God. Scripture says that God will dwell with us in our pain. He will be with us. He will not leave us. He will dwell with us. In the Old Testament, it talks about how God dwelled with his people in a temple. I, I want to talk about that temple that they had then. Um, because I think scripture is so wonderful because it transcends time and has merit in our lives today. Even though Peter was writing this letter to early Christians, he was writing it to them. But God said it will have merit in our lives. <clears throat> if we look at the old temple that was there, Again, one of the opportunities I had when, when I was in the military is to go there. And the Western Wailing Wall is there. And you can literally go up, and it's the foundation of the old temple. And you got, you got to wear the little burqa, I guess a burqa hats, they call them. Um, you got to wear those little hats, and you can write a prayer request. And then you take the prayer request, and you can put it in the wall, and you can pray there. It's a very sacred and holy place to the Jewish nation. Uh, and this temple is massive. Um, if we look at 1 Kings 6, 2 through 8, and how they built this temple, it's remarkable. The temple that King Solomon built, the Lord, was 60 cubits long, 20 wide, and 30 high. The portico at the front of the main hall and the temple extended the width of the temple, that is 20 cubits, and projected 10 cubits from the front of the temple. He made narrow windows high up in the temple walls against the walls of the main hall and inner sanctuary. He built a structure around the building in which they were side rooms. The lowest floor was five cubits wide and the middle floor six cubits and the third floor seven. He made offset ledges around the outside of the temple so that nothing would be inserted in the temple walls. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. I'm going to read that again. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. And no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. The entrance to the lowest floor was on the south side of the temple. A stairway led up to the middle level from there, the third. This building is huge. It's, I know it's, we're going to get a construction lesson. What is a cubit? I had to look all that up. So roughly, it's, it's 180 feet long and 90 feet wide, this building. And it's at its highest point, it's about 20 stories, which is a little over 200 feet. It's a massive, massive building that God was dwelling with his people in this temple, in this building. <clears throat> but here, here's what's so interesting about this. If you, the quarry part really got me, thinking about that, that all of these stones were being chiseled away, far enough away, that you couldn't hear them at the temple. So they were being made perfect that far away and then dragged and stood up and they were all perfect. They all were there in unison and built together. That only way was that God had his hand in building that temple. 
But he, here's the thing. In our lives today, in the hurt and the pain and the suffering and shame that we have at times, our life is in the quarry right now. We're being chiseled away. All the pain and all of that, all the rough edges, God is using in the quarry of our lives and chiseling that away. So that at some point in some time, he's going to take us out and he's going to stand us up and say, this is the miracle I performed in your life. You stand out. You are the one that is going to bring out my good message of goodness and grace. It's not that we want to be looked at for ourselves. We should be looked at for the message that God, what he's done in our lives. But chiseling can hurt. Getting those rough edges away, there's pain in that sometimes. But in a life in difficult times, guys, just like Peter was describing here to, to the early Christians, we are not alone in our pain, in our suffering, in our shame. We're in the quarry there, and he's working on our lives and making us a miracle for him. We're alive because he provides life. That should provide us with such hope, guys, such understanding that he is the one that provides this life. <clears throat> I, I think that we, we, at times, we can just get so focused and distracted on the things of this world, the suffering going on, and there is suffering. Look at what COVID has done to the church, how, how it's trying to split, you know, just relationships, how, how we live in a world that is just full of sin. But we are being stood up. God is working in our lives. So we're going to close here. Um, and before I do, we're going to do something a little different. The first thing different is I, I told Warner, I went to the Warner and the worship and team, and I said, guys, during time of response, you guys don't get the opportunity to respond. You guys don't get the opportunity to sit and pray and to thank God for working those miracles in your life and standing you up. So we're going to just play a song, and they're going to get the time to reflect and worship. So the bags that you got today, there, there's two reasons for the bags. The first one is, is to remind you that take them with you during your week. Um, don't throw them at people, right? That's number one rule. We're not going to throw them at people. But take them with you through the week. And when, when you have a time where you're dealing with a trial and tribulation. Take those stones and say, God is working a miracle in my life, that I'm not alone, that I am being stood up for him. And then, it's always tough. So I hope I don't embarrass you. Sorry. Um, again, you know, we look at kids at times as distractions and frustrations. And so, but there's such honesty in kids and so my son, Nathan, after church one day, he was five years old. I, I think that's what it is. Mom, mom told me this story about a week and a half ago. And I said, it works perfect with the sermon. So he was literally after church, he was picking up stones in the parking lot. And Grandma said, what are those stones for, Nate? And, and Nate gave the stones to Grandma. There's five stones. And he said, Grandma, these are your giant stones. He said, any time that you meet a giant in your life, just throw a stone just like David did. Just get rid of it, and you can pick them up anytime and, and get more stones. They're used to kill the giants in your life. God gives us these stones, guys. They're not distractions. They're good things in our lives, 
and he's standing aside. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I just pray that we can look at the things that you, you've done in our lives, that we are walking miracles to your goodness, your grace, and we're to be testimonies of that in a broken, sinful world. I pray, God, is that we leave today and we can take this message, your message, and that we can remember that in our pain, in our shame, in our suffering, in our trials and tribulations, that we're not alone that you're going to stand us up, that you are standing us up. You're, we're in the quarry and that you're, you're chiseling away all our rough edges. So today, Lord, I just pray for these people, for your church, that we can go out and be living stones for you. So Brian, myself, BJ, we're going to be over here. If you feel like the, you need to pray, you can come and pray with us. If you can't do that, that's okay. You can pray in your seat. We're going to play a song. It's, it's one of my favorite artists. His name's Zach Williams, and it's called Fear is a Liar because fear is a liar. You are perfect stones, and in the quarry of life, he's making you living stones.